Ourselves Black is a place where we own the narrative and are unapologetic about our goal, to share imagery, information, and stories infused with knowledge that promotes black mental health. This is the Ourselves Black podcast, and I'm your host, Dr. Sarah Y. Vincent. On today's edition of the Ourselves Black podcast, part two of a two-part discussion about couples therapy with guest expert, Dr. Ayana Abrams. Dr. Ayana Abrams is a licensed clinical psychologist in Georgia and the CEO and founder of Ascension Behavioral Health, LLC. Dr. Abrams enjoys providing consultation and guest speaking opportunities to organizations, specifically nonprofits, schools, churches, hospitals, and other media. She's been featured on Huffington Post Live, Therapy for Black Girls, and Silence to Shame. She is also the proud co-founder of Not So Strong, a mental health initiative focused on emotional healing of black women through use of vulnerable narratives. Hello, and welcome back to the Ourselves Black podcast. We have as a return guest expert, Dr. Ayana Abrams, a couple therapist extraordinaire. Uh, Dr. Mm-hmm. Abrams, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me back. And so Dr. Abrams, in part A um, of this topic, talks about couple therapy misconceptions of it, when people should go. Um, We wanted to have her back to talk about special considerations in black couples and within the black community when it comes to uh, couples therapy. Uh, So Dr. Abrams, uh, just as a general sort of overview, tell us about some of the unique considerations um, when we're talking about therapy with black couples. So considerations I think are, that are really important um, when it comes to black couples, and unfortunately the, there is not a lot or enough research on this and there are not enough people in clinical practice who employ these considerations, but when it comes to, to um, black couples, something that we have to consider is notions and kind of understanding or kind of um, how the black family has been socialized and how we've been taught um, ways in which black families exist in the world. Um, so historically, media-wise, we don't really see a lot of black families, um, and we don't see a lot of black families who are quote-unquote successful. So oftentimes, we're, in thinking about relationship role models, there's really, really a breakdown of what a successful relationship looks like, um, what a successful marriage looks like, what that kind of longevity can look like. Um, oftentimes, the, the black community, particularly nowadays, is not, um, I think this is more global, but um, is not talking about marriage, is getting married less, is divorcing more. Um, and those are all related to these kind of social notions of what it means to love. And black people don't have a lot of examples of that. Um, the examples that they do have um, are typically pretty rare. They are media examples that maybe don't feel real. Um, but again, they don't have a ton of options in terms of, okay, here's what it looks like to be different in this way. Here's what I need to do to be different in a relationship. Um, they're just kind of more reactive to stuff. I do what I want, I feel this, and when I'm done, I'm done. Um, black women, particularly more nowadays, are, are being socialized and being taught um, to not really focus on marriage, but to make sure you're taking care of yourself independently. And then if marriage comes along, then it comes along versus it being something that is socialized, um, similar to our white counterparts, where this is the thing that happens next. This is a major part of your life, and, and this is the thing to kind of aspire to. Um, so, again, the, the information, the knowledge, the images of black relationships and kind of stability within that are very, very lacking, um, so people don't have a lot to pull from. So one thing to consider. Um, two, in terms of the family context, is how involved in-laws and extended family are when it comes to black couples and black relationships. It's not 
uncommon to see a couple living with in-laws, parents, grandparents, cousins, brothers, uncles, um, and those things absolutely have an impact on how a couple functions. If they are um, taking care of another family member or if there are just more people in the home, that almost automatically means less time with each other. Um, and oftentimes that's not really considered um, in terms of how couples are functioning. They're functioning in a number of different roles and don't really have the same amount of time to spend with each other. Um, and another consideration is religion and how that has the black church and how that has impacted people's views of their roles in a partnership um, and gender roles, particularly that come along with that. Um, so if these things were considered more and, and researched more, um, I think we would see a lot more couples having a, a better base for how to build a foundation, but we, we don't have a lot of information on that. So I was struck by one of the, one of the first things, well, I was struck by all of it, um, <laughs> but, I was real, but I was struck by one of the first things you mentioned about how black women are socialized to kind of take care of themselves first, and then if marriage happens, it happens. What and how I that and that, yeah, and how that seems different, and, and there there are ways in which Black women are also socialized to um, be much more dependent on men. Um, so that really depends on again the 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 woman's kind of history, her relationship history, and, and parenting, and kind of what she's seen. But what I will see is this kind of paradox between women who are socialized to put up with suffering, and that's what a relationship means and looks like. Um, so that actually actually leaves her more dependent on a partner and more codependent. Um, what I'm seeing more now is I think they call it like the fierce or kind of independent superwoman kind of complex that comes in that I can figure this out on my own. I don't need you. I want you. And these are ways in which I function. And oftentimes while that can be healthy in some ways, that can actually push people away um, because particularly black women um, uh, have been taught to be more so focused on you've got to do everything yourself. You can't depend on anybody and that becomes really conflated with, I don't let anybody in. I can't let you see me vulnerable or weak or anything like that, so I'll take care of all the things, which means you're not really engaging in a partnership. So I'll actually see that show up in both of these ways. That's really interesting in the room. Um, again, just kind of depending on kind of what shows up across the couple sessions, it's like, oh, well, okay, that shows up like this, or that shows up like this. Um, so I'll see those two things show up, uh, particularly for black women. Codependence or such a fierce independence um, that it can create some unhealthy boundaries. And what are some This ways is also that... not to put it all on black women, though. Let me also sure, sure. So, so yeah, I was going to, I was going to go there with the next question. Mm -hmm. So what are some ways that you think the socialization of black men contributes to some of the challenges, uh, faced Absolutely. by black couples? Um, I think that same concern around, I can't be vulnerable. It's not manly to be vulnerable. So is it the male, what do they call it? Um, toxic masculinity. Um, absolutely shows up in the room um, in terms of I don't, one, I, because of toxic masculinity, many men don't even know what they're feeling. They don't know that they have feelings. They're much more um, intellectual, kind of rational. Everything is based on logic. This just makes sense. Um, and they really, really reject deeper emotion. So for me, somebody who's, who uses literally emotion-focused therapy, oftentimes men will come in and have no clue what I'm doing, no clue what I'm talking about, and either they are confused or they reject it. Like, I don't, I don't feel anything, literally. I'll, be, I'll, I'll ask them, like, you know, tell me how that must, have, that must have felt difficult for you. Nah, it was cool. I mean, like, you know, it was annoying, but, you know, women are like this. Like, so, so things like that come up where I'm doing a lot of work to drop people down into their emotions. Because when it comes, and particularly when it comes to 
um, communities of color and, and black people. Um, we don't have a lot of the education and, the, and the, to understand the nuances of what feelings are. And for black men, the feelings that they have been allowed to feel and express are anger. So that's the thing that shows up. So when I get to feelings of like fear, like I, and I, have to, I usually have to kind of think twice about, okay, whether I use the word fear here because they feel so detached from fear that that's not a word that, I, that, that really helps us in the room until I do more work with that. So fear, scared, afraid are not words that I might use at the beginning of couples therapy um, with a black couple, particularly there's a male um, in the room. I have to use other words to kind of bring, bring other things out. And then once I'm connected with them enough, bring it down to, I wonder if you were afraid. And they might still be like, mm, mm. but then some of them might drop into that and be like, yeah, I can, I can see that. They still might not say, I feel afraid, but they say, like, you could, that could be something. Um, so that kind of gives me an in in a little bit, but I do have to be mindful of um, emotional language that has a charge to it uh, because it's most likely to be rejected. And if that happens too early in the work, I've lost a couple. Um, so I have to, you have to pay particular attention to that with black couples. And, and as, a, as a couple, if you have two black people individually, they're both dealing with the stressors of being black in this society. Yes. 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 And so how mm-hmm. do you see that? In, mm-hmm. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say what I've actually noticed, and I, I talk about this in, in, um, in some of my peer groups, what I have couples come in with, and it's, it's, it's typically if it's a, if it's a heterosexual um, couple, I'll have the, the male partner come in and talk about this more. But he will come in and say things like, I'm already dealing with the stresses of the world. I got to deal with racism at work. I got to deal with this. I got to deal with, you know, black men being shot and kind of having all this stuff on my mind. I need you to not cause me any more problems. I need to come home and have this be a place where I can just relax and I can say what I want. I don't want to have a filter here. I have to be so on point outside that I can't deal with the problems inside. That's what I'll hear that that has a marked difference than when I'm working with other um, couples of other races is that because I am a black man, obviously I'm in Atlanta, so because I'm a black man in America, because I'm a black man even in the South, <clears throat> that I can't deal with that and that at the same time. So you got to cut it out. And I just need you to leave me alone or be quiet or give me time or just do what I need you to do. I need you to love me and like me and be nice to me. That's all. Because I literally can't handle any more conflict. I'm, I'm bogged down by way too much. Um, so while I think both couples, both partners, um, if I'm working with a black couple, come in with that, um, I have men who are more likely to express that. Um, and oftentimes what I'll see, the counter to that is that black women then feel, well, well, I get it, and you're dealing with so much, so let me be quiet. Let me just not get in your way, right? So that kind of develops this whole codependency where she's not speaking up, she's not fulfilled, and it creates this whole other cycle because she is so sensitive to what he's dealing with as a black man in the world. And to be clear, though, it's not as if being a woman protects you from dealing with racism Anything, either. right. Mm-mm, mm-mm. But the way in which we have been socialized, is that superwoman status says we can handle that. We'll navigate this and this and this. I'll navigate, you know, issues in a relationship, issues at work, parenting stuff, not really having close friendships, but I will make sure that he is protected. I will make sure that I don't create any more distress for him. Because if I, if I stress him out, guess what? He'll leave me. And there are all these conceptions around women and loneliness and being a single black woman past the age of 32 that 
just feels so intolerable that I need to make sure that I keep this relationship by any means necessary. And if that means being quiet and just letting him have the space that he needs, and sometimes space that he needs can also translate into letting him sleep with whoever he might want to sleep with, um, then at least I oh, have this relationship. Oh, Lord. oh, yeah. At least I'm not a statistic. I've had people come in like, at least I'm not a statistic. I have a, I have a marriage. Doesn't mean it's a good marriage, but I have a marriage. So a lot of times women are butting up against what, again, research and media has told us about our ability to be loved by other people. And we get very, very caught up in that, um, that we will not take the best care of ourselves in relationships just because we get to say that we have a relationship. That becomes a more valuable thing. I am not a statistic. I'm here and we're doing it. All the things come up. Yeah, all the things. So, you know, as I'm, and, and of course, like I'm a, I'm a black mental health professional. I'm not a couple therapist, but um, in, in listening to you, I, I just have an appreciation for the fact that there is an added level of complexity if you are talking about working with black couples. Um, and in a lot of places, maybe you can find a black couple therapist, but maybe you can't. Maybe you um, can't. So if, yeah. Maybe you can't. So if you're listening and you say, I want to to entrust somebody with helping me and my partner through this this process, what should people look for or how can they make sure that they're finding people who are who are culturally competent or uh, have the sufficient cultural humility to help them navigate these issues? I absolutely recommend that, that if and when you come to a point that I'm very proud of you for, that you are therapist shopping, you get to ask those questions. Have you worked with black couples before? What kind of theory or, or you know, mode do you use when you work with couples? These are things that are absolutely fine to ask us. Because um, there's but so much information you might be able to gauge of us um, from our online presence, if we have an online presence, um, versus when we have that screening phone call, that consultation call, um, to ask what the questions are. And I've had, had clients ask me those questions. I've had them ask me, well, it's kind of nuanced, but like what are your rates of success? That usually tells me that you're wondering something else. Um, but to ask, ask questions about have you worked with someone like me before? Have you worked with these particular issues before? Right? Because couples therapy is not only a, a time commitment or a financial commitment. This is you in your most raw, exposed way. Um, and you want to know that the space is safe enough and, again, that the, that the clinician is competent enough and or willing to become more competent in how to help you with your particular issue. Um, and typically once that trust is there, again, you can be even more vulnerable. But if you're skeptical and if you're worried that they don't get you and if something kind of comes up and they don't, they don't get the reference or the nuance and you've got to start explaining stuff because they don't understand why I said this in this way, you can really become disconnected from the work. The caveat is that with that is I, it, it doesn't mean that any black therapist is going to get it. It doesn't mean, so based on kind of just where we are racially and culturally, you can try to make assumptions based on what we look like and how we say things, but it doesn't mean that in the room it always lands that way. But you get to right. be a consumer of your care. And I would always recommend be an active consumer of your care. If something doesn't feel right in some way, if something feels off, we can handle it. Let us know how we can be better to you. That actually helps us as clinicians. For you. And if you have a clinician who can't handle you naming that and expressing that, probably not the right clinician. Probably not the right fit. And you can always ask for, you can, you can say, even though that's a difficult conversation to have, but it's, it's helpful um, for you and clinician. These are the reasons why this is not feeling like a good fit. 
can you possibly give me some referrals of somebody who might and and that these are, might be things that you might not know until you're in therapy and be like oh I thought I needed that but that I actually don't need that I'm actually looking for this you can be absolutely honest about that because we want to get you the refer, the referrals to get you the best um, uh, therapeutic relationship because that's the the change factor is yes it's about the work that you and your partner are able to do in the room but it's also about the relationship between the three of us um, that helps you to be vulnerable enough to really get to the bottom of things. You know, something that I offer to couples that I think a lot of my colleagues who practice EFT also offer to couples um, is that I tape my sessions. And usually at first, you know, some couples might be like, I don't want to be on camera. There's a vulnerability. There's kind of this exposed piece. Um, but I tell my couples, I tape you because I watch the sessions. And I watch the sessions, one, mainly for, for me to get better for you. But because couples therapy, things can happen really, really fast, I'll be honest that sometimes I can miss something. Sometimes there's a, there's a flick of a wrist. Right, or sometimes there's some, there's, just some, there's a head movement that really says a lot, and usually what EFT does, I try to pick up on these cues in the room, but honestly, because things happen in such a way um, that can happen really fast, I watch tapes afterwards. So with me and with a lot of my colleagues, you're actually getting two sessions. You're getting an hour with me in the room, and you're also getting another hour, sometimes hour and a half, of me watching the tape to really be mindful of, okay, what's happening in the room? And I'll bring that stuff into the next session. I'll say, you know, last week I, I realized when such and such said this, your whole body language changed. Can you help me understand what was happening for you last week? And sometimes we don't realize that we have these nonverbal cues that are so telling, so, so, so telling. So I'll help couples kind of realize that. And oftentimes a partner will say, yeah, I noticed that he does this thing with his chin every time I bring up my mother. And then it's like, oh, okay, so now we've got to unpack what's going on with your mama in the room. Like, so... There are all these things that happen that I get to catch. If I don't catch it in the moment, I get to catch it when I watch the tape afterwards. Um, so a couple that allow me to do that, our work actually moves a lot faster. And, you know, that's all great information for people to have. If they're at that point and they're thinking this is something that I need to do because issues A, B, and C have come up, we try to be mindful um, with the content on Ourselves Black about mental health promotion as well. And so if someone is in a couple and things are going well, what are some things that they can do to protect their relationship and promote the ongoing health of it? Mm, um, so things that I'd recommend um, is really prioritizing your, your relationship by carving out time for yourself. So I know that the big buzzword you did is kind of self-care and making sure that you are um, taking care of yourself in the best way, giving yourself downtime, giving yourself rest, giving yourself these things. Um, but what I've noticed is that couples stop dating after things get to whatever point. So whether that is marriage, whether that is parenting, um, whether that is just at a certain time. Because, again, I, I don't only work with couples who are married. I work with couples who are premarital. I work with couples who are in the dating phases. Um, I might not recommend that couples wait until they're married to think that, that I have to go to marital counseling. This is a relationship counseling across the board. Um, but to be as mindful and as intentional about spending time with each other um, and to keep dating each other. Couples stop dating oftentimes. Very, they get very casual. We're just in the house. We're chilling. We just feel so good with each other that we don't still do things that are exciting. We don't still continue to learn about each other. And through any phase of a couple, after a few years, we're different in a lot of ways. We've been to, through different things. We're older. We're at a new job, and we're learning different things about ourselves. You want to continue being interested in your partner as much as you can and that you show that interest by saying, hey, I want to spend time with you. 
where we have each other's undivided attention. Um, so to keep dating each other, to keep learning about each other, um, and as difficult as it might be, to be as honest as possible about things. And honest doesn't mean that you have to be blunt and just, I don't care how you feel because this is how I feel, um, but to continue to tell each other what's working and what's not working. Because the expectation that the other person can read your mind really gets in the way of people's communication. Um, and they assume that because you've known me for 10 years, you should just know that I don't like that. Versus, no, I get to still tell you, hey, you might have forgotten, but I really, really don't like when we spend more than four days with your brother, something like that. Um, so you, you still want to be honest with your partner and, again, taking that risk to let them know what you like and what you don't like. Because, again, the, the, the assumption or the mis misperception um, that they know you well enough to know all your wants and needs and should be able to anticipate that really isn't fair for them, but also really isn't fair for you. It doesn't give you any practice at continuing to, to know what your needs are. Um, again, spending active time with each other, um, really telling the truth about the likes and the dislikes. Um, and the other piece is making sure that you are well. So couples oftentimes come in because there's been a breakdown in how you're individually taking care of yourself, and that manifests in how you're able to take care of your partnership. You've got to do your best to also be well. So sometimes that, sometimes that might mean doing things on your own and coming back to the couple. That means getting more sleep, making sure that you are your best self individually so that you can be your best self in a relationship. Because if you're not, if you're not good, your relationship is not going to be good. And oftentimes people expect that to happen. Like, I'm not well, I'm depressed, I'm this, I'm this, I'm this, but my relationship should be perfect, and it doesn't work that way. All the energy that you are kind of holding and carrying automatically sits in your relationship. So taking care of yourself is actually a really, really great buffer on benefiting your relationship. Good stuff. So I am sure that there are people who have listened today who are interested in hearing more from uh, Dr. Abrams and we actually do have part one of this topic uh, where Dr. Abrams is talking about couple therapy, and I certainly encourage you to listen to that if you like what you heard today. Uh, but Dr. Abrams, for people who want to continue to hear from you or to continue this dialogue with you, what's the best way for them to, to reach you? So the best way is through my website um, where you can email me, you can get more information about me, or to give me a phone call. Um, so my website is www. Dr. Abrams, abh.com. That's D R A B R A M S and the letters abh.com. Um, you can give me a phone call at 732-733-6413, or you can also find me on my Facebook business page um, at Ascension Behavioral Health. That's A S C E N S I O N Behavioral Health. You can find me all those avenues, still gets you to me. All right, good deal. Thank you so much for lending your time and your expertise, Dr. Abrams. Thank you for having me. I look forward to this, and I look forward to more from Ourselves Black. Thank you.